You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. And I appreciate your patience. I know I've kept you a little bit longer uh, through the messages of this series. And that's just because, um, man, as we've been talking about God's design for the church, what he wants us to be, uh, I feel like that just lines up with, with where we're at right now as a church, what it is that God's attempting to do in us and through us here in this community. And so I feel like these messages, I mean, just have been so... Um, poignant to where we're at as a church right now. And um, if you say, what do you mean where we're at as a church right now? Uh, over the, the past year, um, it has been bittersweet because we have, we have said goodbye to folks who have uh, led in our church and served in our church for many years, been incredibly faithful. Um, but it's also a time in our church that as we've said goodbye, we have, we've said welcome to so many. And uh, you know that it's, it's a little full in here right now. Uh, we are currently parking people up the street, and uh, we ran out of parking this morning. And so if you had to park in the grass, I apologize. If you had a hard time finding a seat, I apologize. I hope that you know that we want you here, and we are doing everything we can to make room for you here. And so um, it's a time of transition at our church as, as we, we grow, as we pass the baton uh, from one generation to the next. And so these messages have been so important for us. Uh, in this time. And uh, our mission at Faith Church is to build the church our friends and neighbors will join and that our children will lead. That's our heart. That's what we're trying to do. And so we're glad that so many of you, our friends and neighbors, are here. And we're so glad that, that so many children are in the gym right now singing together. And by the way, next Sunday is anniversary Sunday. They're going to sing for us uh, in the service next Sunday, so don't miss that. Um, so thankful for what the Lord is doing. And I'm just... Um, I'm so appreciative. You know, last week at the end of the service, um, you, you showed Eric and I honor giving us a gift, and we felt very appreciated. Uh, but this week, as uh, after our Wednesday night Bible study, Eric and I were talking, and um, we're, we're standing in the parking lot, and, and we live in, in the future in the sense that we're constantly looking at what it is that God is calling us to do and what we're hoping that He's going to do in your hearts and in your lives. And so we kind of live in that not-yet part uh, but God has already done so much. We live in that already and not yet. And so um, I'm just so thankful. And uh, he and I were just talking about how thankful we are for all that God is doing in your lives, uh, in your families, in our church. And so I, I hope that this morning can kind of be a time that, that you, you, you sense that appreciation, but also you, you see that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our transition, in the midst of, of messiness, um, that, that you see God's blessing. Uh, yesterday, I felt like it was just a, a, an encapsulation of everything uh, that's going on at our church. Yesterday, we're having an ordination service, and um, I mean, right in the middle of the preaching, one of our kids gets sick and has to bolt out of the back of the service and throws up. And so, there's a guy, a visiting guy up here preaching. And while he's preaching, there are people in the back cleaning up vomit off the carpet and the walls, you know. And uh, that's just that's just kind of a, a, a good figure of everything that's going on here. We're, we're trying to raise the Lord up, but there's messiness and there's things we're trying. And so, anyway, today we're going to see the kind of people God uses to build his church, people like you and me. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's gathering the church that he's going to build, and they're not what everybody else would have pictured. In fact, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that the disciples in the very beginning aren't living up to expectations. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked ears of corn and did eat. 
rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees, the Pharisees are religious leaders, said to them, why do you do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And I, I, the, the disciples are walking through cornfields and they're hungry, so they're just plucking ears of corn and they're rubbing it in their hands, cleaning it off, getting the silk off of it or whatever, and just eating it. And the Pharisees are like, what are you guys doing? This is not socially acceptable. And, and that gives us a good picture of the, the kind of people that Jesus had surrounded himself with. You know, last week I, I told you that I believe that the church is the hope of the world, that God has instituted the church to make this difference in our communities and in our world, to, to, to rescue people, to redeem people. And if I told you, listen, that's what the church is going to be, and that's what the church is going to be about, you need to go build that organization, you would probably go look for the people who have the most capital and the most money and the most prestige and the most education, because if you're going to build this large organization that's going to change the globe and endure for generations, you're going to need a lot of talented, rich, resourced people. You're going to go looking for the, the glitterati, you know, the people that, that are leaders in industry or social change, that, that set up foundations in their name and have buildings named after them. But Jesus does the exact opposite. When Jesus is recruiting his inner circle for what is going to be the church, he goes to the docks. And he gets fishermen who are cleaning their nets after a long night of fishing. He, he goes to the, 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 the table of corruption, the, the crooked tax collector. We'd consider him organized crime today. And he calls one of those guys to be his followers. That guy throws a party and Jesus goes to it and it's, it's filled. The house is filled with people who are known to be drunkards and prostitutes. And Jesus doesn't go to the, the institutions of higher learning to build his inner circle. He goes to the oceanside to the beach, he goes to the, the house of a sinner, and through that, Jesus begins to build his church. And so these people who are following him, they don't do what is socially normal or acceptable. And can I, can I tell you a little bit of a, something that I kind of get a kick out of when occasionally we'll have guests like we did yesterday, we'll have guest speakers come from, from, you know, churches elsewhere. Maybe they come from the East Coast or the Deep South or whatever, and they're from Free Will Baptist churches, and they come to our church, and we are so drastically different than anything they've ever seen before, right? We're just, we're, we're not what they're expecting at all. And, and I just kind of get a kick out of that, because I feel like that's exactly what we see happening here at the beginning of Luke 6, when the Pharisees are like, this is, is your, this is your group? These people, the guys plucking ears of corn and eating them, these, okay, those are your guys, all right. But Jesus gives us this message later on in the chapter that makes it really clear that he was looking at something completely different. They were roughnecks at the tea party because Jesus was looking for a completely different set of criteria than they were used to. So look down with me at, at verse 12 of Luke chapter 6. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his twelve disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom he also would name apostles. And then we have the listing of the disciples. And I wanted you to see that Jesus prayed all night before he called these guys and chose them it was not random. It wasn't that he just took who he could get. 
he prayed about it all night, and he called those 12 out of his group of followers. Jesus made this choice. This wasn't a lottery. It wasn't random. It wasn't just who showed up. He chose these 12 on purpose for a reason. Now skip down to verse 17 after the list of all of their names. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples. And a great multitude of people out of all of Judea and Jerusalem from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed of unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. And he lift up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men speak, speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you, and unto him that smiteth thee upon one cheek, offer him the other as well. And him that take away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men do unto you, do you also unto them likewise. If you didn't know it, the World Series is on. And the Red Sox last night went up three games to one. I just wanted to tell you that because they're my team. <laughs> Been a Red Sox fan for a long time, and the Red Sox are really good right now. It's just one of the best teams they've ever fielded. And they've won a couple of World Series championships over the last decade. But when I first became a fan, it was not because they were this dominant team. It was because they were rivals with the dominant team, the New York Yankees. What was frustrating about the New York Yankees is it seemed like any time a team, from St. Louis to Pittsburgh to Houston to L.A., whenever a team had a good player and that player's contract would end, New York would sweep in and offer them three times as much money as anyone else could afford and take them away. It was like they were the evil empire. The baseball changed a few years ago when suddenly there became a new analytical tool for looking at statistics and seeing the players that weren't valued very highly but could really contribute to a team. Those of you that are familiar with baseball, you may have heard the term sabermetrics, which is a part of all that, and people have a love and hate relationship with it. But it was the advent of that system and general managers who would look at players that nobody else valued highly, but they could see things in them that could lead them to victory, and they would put together teams based on that. Theo Epstein, who was the general manager of the Red Sox, back when they had not won a World Series in decades, put together one of those teams, and they won the series. Theo Epstein would then go to Chicago, and he would put together a team with similar dynamics, and they would win the World Series. There's actually a movie that, in a, in a dramatic fashion, 
paints the picture of how this came to be when it first kind of came into Major League Baseball at the Oakland Athletics called Moneyball. And I love that, that, that story because the, the general manager realizes that he's going to have to play against teams that have four times as much money as he does to buy all of the best players. He loses his best three players, two to New York and another, another to another rich team. And he says, I've got to find a way to get players that nobody else wants but I know are good. And because he, he's able to see value in players that nobody else sees value and he's able to put together a team that's incredibly powerful on a budget that's incredibly small. And the reason that I love that so much is because I feel like that's a picture of what we're doing in the kingdom of the Lord. Because Jesus came and he said, blessed are the poor, and blessed are those that mourn, and blessed are those that are used, and blessed are those that are abused, for of such is the kingdom of God. You see, what Jesus says in those verses that I just read to you in the Beatitudes is he says that the way that we see the world is absolutely upside down. And through the message of Jesus, through the message of the Beatitudes, he's turning it right side up. And the things that we value in this culture, the things that are are sought after, the things that everybody clamors after, they're not that important. And what he's saying is the things that truly matter, nobody's looking at. This major shift in Major League Baseball, it gives us this dramatic retelling, but it's what Jesus has always been about. You see, what Jesus does is he comes and he calls people who no one else would have considered to be the leaders of this movement, the church that Jesus was building that was going to turn the world upside down. It was going to change everything. Nobody would have picked these 12, but Jesus could see something in them that no one else did. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what he's talking about. He says, blessed be the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus goes looking for something completely different than what the powerful people of this world go looking for. You see, when the people of this world look at us, they, they sum us up in a few basic statistics. Our average income, our social status, our education level, And many of us, if we are summed up in those basic statistics, we don't measure up very highly in this world. We are considered those poor. But Jesus says, blessed are you. And what we find throughout the Scripture, and especially as Jesus comes and He begins His earthly ministry, He is preaching the Gospel. He's preaching the good news to the poor. In fact, Jesus uh, goes into the synagogue where the people are, are worshiping, and he, he opens his, his Bible, he opens the Scripture, the copy of Isaiah that they have there, and he reads it before them, and he, he reads this prophecy that Isaiah has in Isaiah 56 that says, I have come to bring good news unto the poor. And Jesus reads those words in the synagogue, and then he goes and sits down, and everybody's looking at him, and he says, Today, this has been fulfilled before you. Jesus is saying, I, I just did that. I am here preaching the message of Jesus to the poor. I'm preaching the message of redemption to the poor. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, would come ahead of him to prepare the way, and John the Baptist develops his following, and then Jesus' ministry begins, and John begins to, to fade back into the shadows, and John actually ends up in prison. And John is wondering, what is it that's going on out there? Why isn't Jesus bringing this new kingdom? Is he really the one that we were looking for? And so 
John sends a couple of his followers, a couple of his friends to go find Jesus and ask him, are you the one we've been looking for or is there another? And Jesus tells those friends, he says, go back and tell John that the blind have been made to be able to see. Go back and tell John that the, the lame have been given the ability to walk. And go back and tell John that I am preaching the good news to the poor. He's saying, go tell John that I am bringing the message of grace to the outcast, the people that nobody else will bring it to. This is absolutely radical to everything else that everyone else was doing. Everyone else focused on on who is popular, who is powerful, who can help me, who can help me advance. And we have many ideas and principles and elements in our culture today that that flow down from this, this change in thinking that Jesus brought. And it's for that reason that you can trace the the history of schools and hospitals and orphanages back to the early church. Because before this idea came about of blessed are those that are poor and forsaken and afflicted, those that were such, we just pushed them out of society. In the the cities, in, in the early days of Rome, if someone was sick, you would take them and throw them out of the city because you didn't want to get sick. And you are protecting yourself from the disease that they might have. You are protecting your family. But the Christians come and they see people who have value and worth even though they're sick or even though they're poor. And instead of throwing them out, they take them in. And they care for them. Because they have this ethic of blessed are the poor, blessed are the sick, blessed are the mourners, blessed are those that are broken. They take them in and they care for them. That's something completely radical and different. And Christianity spreads like wildfire, not because it is, it is held by people who are powerful and in places of prestige and in places of money. Those people were trying to push Christianity out, but rather Christianity spreads like wildfire because it's someone, something that the poor can accept and receive, and it's given to them. And so when Jesus comes, knowing that he's going to be starting a kingdom and a movement that is upside down from everything that the world is doing. He doesn't go looking for what the world looks for. He goes looking for broken people that others wouldn't have much value in. And he transforms them and changes them. And what we see is that while most people look for ability, people who are capable, people who are powerful, people who are talented, people that are respected. Jesus came looking for people who were available. Jesus came looking for people who were teachable. Jesus came looking for people who were faithful. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? 90% of your development as a believer is just showing up to be with Jesus. Just showing up to be with Jesus. And I'm not, just, I'm not just saying like being here at church. I'm talking about showing up to spend time with Jesus in His Word. Just being with Him. Jesus looked for people not that were talented or capable or impressive. Jesus looked for people who were available and teachable and faithful. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And this morning I was, I was thinking on my message and I was I was walking here in the, in the sanctuary thinking over my message, and, and I, I saw our, our missionary board back there that currently it has one missionary update, and it's from Kevin Bass. And Kevin Bass was, was my friend in, in high school and college, and he came, moved here, transferred here, worked for FedEx, lived here, and served here in our church, and then after a while went and served in Ohio and is now part of a church plant 
that is reaching people and doing incredible things in Portsmouth, Virginia. And I, and I thought about Kevin, and I thought, Kevin, Kevin is that guy. He is available, he is faithful, he is, is teachable. When I was in school with Kevin, Kevin hated school. He would tell you that. He, he, he didn't like studying, he didn't like tests, he felt like he had some sort of, of, of hindrance in his learning that made it difficult for him, but he kept showing up, he kept being available, he remained faithful, and God made him, developed him into this, this man who is now the associate pastor. God's doing an incredible thing. With, why? Because Kevin was faithful and available and teachable. And that's what God wants to do among us. And so he, he's gathering a, a group of broken people. And he wants to develop us if we'll be available, if we'll be teachable, if we'll be faithful. God didn't call you here because you're impressive. I, 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 don't, I hate to break it to you. This is not the church of impressive people. That is in the next town. Not every one of us has value, and every one of us has significance, and God has given each and one of us unique gifts. And what Jesus does with these disciples is incredible because they had these God-given talents and abilities and callings, and they did significant things and meaningful things. And that's what I talked about last week when I said that the church is like a dream team. But we are a group of broken people that God blesses. That's who we are. He gathers together those that are brokenhearted, those that are, are mourners, those that are poor in spirit, those that are poor in, in, in status, those that are poor in their bank accounts. He calls us together and develops us. He's saying, those of you that are impoverished, you will be blessed. And, and there are many types of poverty. And, and Tim Callerney's book on, on, on City uh, Church uh, breaks this down so well. He points out the fact that there's economic poverty. And economic poverty is not having what you need. It's not having the means to put food on your table or shelter over your children's head or shoes on their feet. That's economic poverty. And there are many people all around us who struggle with economic poverty. They don't have what they need. And we're called to, to bless them and help them and put shoes on their feet and, and help them earn so that they can put shoes on their own feet. God's called us to that. And there's also social poverty. The Proverbs says that the poor, that their poverty is their desolation but the rich, their wealth is a strong city. In other words, the rich have neighbors and they have security because they're rich, right? I don't know if you guys saw in the news, some guy won a bunch of money this past week in South Carolina and he didn't tell everybody who he was. Why? Because you knew everybody would show up at his house, right? Suddenly cousins that he's never heard of, right? I'd be like, I'm your eighth cousin, I'm here, you know? I could use a loan. Because when you have money, you have a lot of friends suddenly. And Proverbs is saying when, when, when you are impoverished, you don't have that. You don't have friends that you can reach out to and rely on. And so your poverty leads you into greater poverty. And the friends that you do have are just as impoverished as you, and so you learn from them and you just continue in that cycle. And so there's, there's an economic poverty, but there's also this social poverty Jesus is speaking to that. He's saying, I'm coming to those who are in economic poverty and social poverty. They don't have the status or the clout that others have. But what Jesus makes really obvious to us is that there's a third, deeper type of poverty, and that's spiritual poverty, and every one of us has that. Every one of us is impoverished spiritually. Every one of us is broken. 
And you might have some social standing, and you might have some, some economic standing, you might have some clout, and you might have some wealth, but that doesn't mean that you have spiritual standing. Because you can, you can mask your, your spiritual brokenness with economic standing and social standing, but you can't impact it. You can't fix yourself spiritually because you have enough money or you have enough friends. And there are people that have both money and plenty of friends, and they are spiritually impoverished and broken. That's, that's who the Pharisees were. They had status, and they had clout, and they had people who supported them, but they didn't have spiritual standing. And so you, you can mask your spiritual standing with, your, with your, your class and your amount of money, but you cannot change your spiritual standing with the amount of money or the friends that you have. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes knowing that he has to reach people who have, are spiritually impoverished, and he goes to the people who are socially and economically impoverished because they got nothing to mask their spiritual poverty with. Sometimes people are like, man, it's so great that you go to preach at the jail. I like preaching at the jail. Because at the jail, nobody's like, this is what I intended. This is what I wanted to do with my life. Everybody's very clear on the fact things are not going as I planned and something needs to change. There's no mask of like, yeah, I got my life put together. I'm doing all right. Now, e even in those church services, even in those church services, there'll be a guy come and talk to me and be like, I'm not like the rest of these guys. <laughs> and so you, you can still try to mask that, Okay. But Jesus goes to the broken because they, they're not masking their standing with their social or economic goods. And so it's obvious that they're broken. And because of their brokenness, their obvious brokenness, they can receive blessing from Jesus. Some of you have riches and friends that they, they're not a blessing. They're a curse because your riches and your friends have convinced you that you're okay and you're not. And they're just masking and hiding your spiritual poverty. Now, all around us in this world, there are constant advertisements that if you have stuff, if you have things, if you have standing, you'll have joy. But you don't. And if you've had those things, you know that it's a lie. Because you can accumulate all of that stuff and still be incredibly unhappy. And that's the reason that some of the richest nations in the world are the nations with the highest rate of suicide because we've gotten the things that we thought were going to make us happy and they don't, and now what do we do? Now where do we go? And so Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for they will be rich. And what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that he's going to take all the money from the rich people and give it to the poor people? Is Jesus going to be Robin Hood? No. What Jesus is saying, though, is that those that are broken and, ha and have no mask hiding their spiritual poverty, they will be open to receiving the blessing of Jesus. But those that feel like they've got everything put together, they'll, they'll resist, and they'll push him away, and they'll say, I don't need that. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm all right. But when that's stripped away, it's obvious that we need it. And so economic and social status may, may mask our spiritual status, but it does not impact our spiritual status. So if you think that you're good, you're hopeless. 
But if you know that you're spiritually poor, you can be rich in Christ. And nothing impacts happiness like spiritual status. And that's the reason that Jesus uses this word, blessed are ye. And some of you, you might have a modern translation that actually translates that happy are ye, or joyous are ye. Why? Because the word that Jesus is using is speaking of this, this spiritual satisfaction, this having your heart full, this, this, that thing that is missing being filled. And just like a person who is, is without social standing might be lonely, and just like a person who has no economic standing might have an empty cupboard or an empty fridge, those that are spiritually impoverished have an empty heart. And we can try to fill it with all kinds of stuff, but there's just nothing that will fill that. And Jesus is saying, blessed are filled are the poor because they will be rich in me, in my message, in my gospel. They will be made rich. And so because we're broken people and because it's obvious that we don't have our life put together, we're open to receiving the blessing of Jesus. We're open to that. We recognize that our hearts need to be filled by the Lord. And so we're, we're able to be available and be teachable and remain faithful because we know that it's only in Him that those things, those needs are going to be satisfied. Yesterday, I, I preached a, this prayer to ordination service and, and I read from Isaiah 54. Isaiah 55 is that passage where Jesus is saying, I came to preach the good news to the poor. Isaiah 54 is, is Isaiah saying that God is going to be faithful to us, and even if the mountains fall into the sea, the Lord will remain faithful, and His love toward us and His tenderheartedness toward us will not go away because He will remain faithful to us. And all of that is possible because Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says that He came as a lamb. He was slain for us. Isaiah 53 says that he was, he was bruised for our iniquities, that by his stripes we are healed. We, we are poor and we're broken, we're spiritually impoverished, and Jesus comes and he takes our poverty away and he gives us what we need. And it's not money and it's not stuff, it's that spiritual satisfaction that's in Him. What we're experiencing right now in our church is, is we're experiencing that this world is not right. It's broken. And we've lost people that are dear to us that we care about. We've lost people that, that are a part of the mission and have given themselves to the cause. And next Sunday on Anniversary Sunday, we're going to celebrate all that's gone, gone, gone on and all that God has done, but but this Sunday, a week before, I just I want us to mourn a little bit. I want us to mourn that this world is broken and we are broken. And it's okay that we're broken. It's all right for us to be not all right here. It is okay for you to be here and not be okay. Because you know what Jesus said? Blessed are you. And if we get it backwards and we, we come to this place where we're masking how we're really doing, we're missing out on that. We come here and we pretend that everything's all right and it's not. And by the way, you're not fooling me. 
Because I know that things aren't good. We can mourn that. We can mourn that we're broken. Because that's exactly what Jesus is looking for. That's who he came looking for. And some of you right now, you walked in here this morning, like you got in the car before you got here, like you looked in the mirror, you put your game face on, you know. You do that every morning, like you just pretend that you're okay. And you're not. You're broken. We are broken. Our church is broken. We're grieving. We're mourning. That's okay. Because happy are we in the Lord. Not in, not in some pretension. Not acting as if we're something that we're not. Not pretending to be that church of impressive people. Not pretending to be those people that are okay. Not pretending to be the people who have the social status and the economic status. No, we, we are not that. But we are blessed. And that's what Jesus built when he built this church. That's what, that's what he built. He prayed all night, and these are the people he came up with. It wasn't on accident. It wasn't random. And just as, as Jesus poured himself out in prayer the night before he chose his disciples, it's no accident that you're here. God didn't get it wrong. It's not like up in heaven they have this like paperwork system and an angel like dropped a stack of papers and he's like, oh no, I'm just going to sweep all this up and I don't think this is in the right order, but this guy's going here and this guy's going here. I don't know. hope nobody catches that I dropped all that stuff. It's not like that. It's not that God's in heaven and is like, you know, what's going on at the Faith Church in Chandler? Somebody bring me a report on that. I need to catch up on what's been going on there. No, it's not like that at all knows exactly who we are, what we're going through, now we're broken, and how we're messed up. And he's called us anyway, because we are broken people that can be blessed in him. We can be rich, not because we're powerful, not because we're impressive, not because we're talented, because we have none of those things, but we have him. And man, when we realize that, we can sing that song that they let us in. All glory be to Christ. It's, it's not me. It's him. It's him. It Maybe that you're here and, and you've come to recognize that you have this brokenness, but you don't have the blessing either. The blessing comes when you follow Jesus. He's speaking to those that have followed him. And he says, blessed are you that are poor. Blessed are you that are mourners. Blessed are you that are grieving. If you're here this morning, you can, you can see, you can recognize. You don't have any masks left to hide the fact that you are spiritually impoverished. You're ready to welcome Jesus in. But see, here's the thing. If you're, if you're going to hold on to the mask and you're going to hold on to pretending that everything's okay, you're not ready. Because to accept him is to accept that you need him. To be blessed of him is to recognize that you're broken. Because how we come to him is that we recognize we, 
desperately need him. And no matter your economic or social standing, every one of us is spiritually poor. It's only in him that we can be rich. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.